Much of the Caribbean island of Isla Suerte has been destroyed by what appears to be a volcano, although Iron Man may also have been partly responsible. There's a great deal of confusion about American superpowered beings in general at the moment, following the revelation of the Thunderbolts as the masters of evil. The seemingly returned Avengers have been confronted by accusations that they're imposters, as well. It's known that Captain America has recently been impersonated by a Skrull, and that the Hulk was replaced by somebody called Behemoth. There's disarray within S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, Nick Fury, who was recently once again thought to be dead, has once again been replaced by a life model decoy. Another new wave of superpowered beings has just turned up in New York City, as Dusk, Ricochet, Prodigy and Hornet have all appeared in recent days. Perhaps they, too, are familiar costumed adventurers. Oddsmakers in Modapur say the best bet right now is that all four of them are disaffected former members of Alpha Flight. This is Doombot GK15 for the VOL. Zero, zero, eight. This is the voice of Latveria. Zero, zero, eight. Here in Latveria we get news from all over the world. The news may be good or bad, but we will always tell you the truth as Lord Doom sees it. And now, our weekly feature on the history of our world's greatest hero, Victor Von Doom, with your host Douglas Woe, by special arrangement with Universe 1218. Thank you, Doombot CW58. This week we're going to be talking about the X-Men Doctor Doom Annual from 1998, and my guest is one of the people who inspired me to do a podcast in the first place. The extraordinary, the exceptional, the extra amazing Jay Edidin of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Welcome, Jay. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very happy to be back here, especially considering that I was officially banned from the nation of Latveria a few years ago. We're delighted to have you back. I'm sure I speak for my bosses in, in Latveria or are happy to have you back. I mean, it, it was a minor issue, but I, I can I can give you the, the relevant links. Um, my wife and I on our honeymoon um, engaged in, in what turned out to be to be uh, inappropriate fraternization in front of a Doombot. So. Oh, dear. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very glad that all worked out. So what we're looking at today is the 1998 X-Men Annual, which is actually officially X-Men slash Doctor Doom 98, written by Jorge Gonzalez, drawn by Aaron Lopresti, with the inkers Art Thibert and Jamie Mendoza, and uh, colored by Shannon Blanchard. So this is an odd, odd story. You may notice, for one thing, that it's an issue from 1998 that is suddenly coming into our reading order somewhere around 1963-64. That's because that's where it takes place in Doom's career. Right. This is, in fact, largely, well, I guess not a a flash forward for Doom, not for the readers. Right. Uh, In real time, it is happening shortly after, I guess, X-Men number four. Yes. Let's go over this unbelievably strange comic. So it's set then... Doom and a seer who works for him, who he abuses constantly. This is the unluckiest seer in all of seerdom. And you would think that being somebody who could see the future, this guy would take a job that wouldn't require such awful things of him. But uh, the seer shows Doom a vision of Onslaught. Jay, can you please, for our audience at home, explain who and what Onslaught is? Well, when two men with very, very high-level mutant powers, love each other very much, but also hate each other very much, and 
one of those men is a nominal supervillain and the other one of those men is nominally a hero, but essentially a supervillain and really and erases the memory of the other, then occasionally you get a psychic entity who is a fusion of the worst aspects of each of them and wipes out the entire Marvel Universe in one of the most ill-planned and poorly choreographed events in the history of shared universe superhero comics. And I'm saying this as someone who has read every single Secret Wars series. That's, yeah, that's remarkable. Um, so that that's Onslaught, basically. That's what you need to know about Onslaught. So Doom sees a vision of Onslaught as the seer is clearly looking a little green around the gills, blows up some stuff, then recognizes that something, in fact, he says, there is something oddly familiar about this Onslaught's visage. And he presses a button and realizes like, oh yeah, Onslaught looks kind of like Magneto, who he says, or thinks rather. And his brotherhood of evil mutants tried to take over the South American nation of Santa Marco just a few days ago. That's that's the events of X-Men number four back in 64, 63, something like that. Right. Um, back in the early days, notable for some extreme ridiculousness and an enormous magnet-shaped car and a sequence of panels in which Magneto and his daughter respectively stare extremely approvingly at Namor's bot. So that puts some thoughts into Doom's head and he decides that uh, he's going to use his greatest invention, which is the time platform, the time machine. I mean, Doom has established himself as an actual first-rate genius by inventing the world's first working time machine. And he's he's got it sitting around his castle. So is this the same time machine that led to the Fantastic Four going in and, and being pirates for a while? Yes, exactly. Excellent. The, the very same time machine. The uh, seer asks if it's wise for Doom to go through time and see what this onslaught entity is, and actually just you know, questions the wisdom of it in front of Doom, which amazingly does not get him disintegrated on the spot. This may be the only time that this doesn't happen. But Doom explains like, oh no, you're going to come with me and we're going to be in a cloaking bubble so nobody can see us. And their first stop is the uh, initial fight between the X-Men and Magneto, which had happened pretty shortly before this. Yeah, that's Cape Citadel. It's X-Men number one. They're lurking just off panel, watching the fight. It doesn't go over very well with the seer who really looks like he's about to puke. They jump into the future and this time they- uh, They land in, in the Savage Land in Magneto's Fortress. And I believe this is when he was he was making his, his Savage Land uh, mutates and, and animen. But I actually wanna go back to that, that first scene because there's one yeah. detail of it that, that I find really interesting. And that is that the seer is able to get into Magneto's mind. Yes. Because at this point specifically, this was before Magneto's helmet did anything official. But ah. in, this, in this issue, magnetism effectively repelled psychic powers. Huh. Although, although, you know, the seer isn't going to be important. I, I like sort of looking in and seeing how the stuff interacts with, with the continuity around it, because also magnetism was, was just the, the amazing Swiss army power of the 60s, right. um, along with radioactivity. But this guy is clearly working in a telepathic frequency completely different from Charles Xavier's, which might explain why he's having some trouble getting a hold of, of, of Onslaught or getting, getting a sense of what's going on with there. You get no prize for that, Jay. That's a, a very good explanation of something that otherwise makes no freaking sense at all. So we, we, make, we make a time jump and we land in the Savage Land around the time with the mutates and it looks like Magneto is dead, but no, no, uh, the seer says like, he's not actually dead. The, the, the seer is better at spotting fake deaths than the X-Men are. That's saying something. 
He is. And this is, this is again, something that Magneto and, and Xavier have in common. And I love that Doom's response is, Doom, who's been like, ah, I don't really know about this guy, is, is be like, yes, I respect him now. The <laughs> man who fakes his own death is a man I can get behind. Yes. Perhaps I was too quick to disparage him. Yeah, they, they have not yet met quasi face-to-face, as they will in Acts of Vengeance much further down the road, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So they make another time jump, and this time they are ending up in the Claremont and Burn era. It's around right. like issue 111, something like that. Yeah, they have, they have just come out of the Phoenix Saga. They've just come out of the Phoenix Saga. They're beneath a live volcano somewhere around Antarctica. So they're close to yeah. Savage Land again. They've gone, they've gone back to that particular well. And most of what's happening is just a straight up replay of what happened in those X-Men issues, except that the Phoenix spots Doom and the Seer in the bubble and goes off to talk to them. Yeah. Scenes we never saw. <laughs> we see that uh, Phoenix is a little bit surprised. You know, Dr. Doom, this is a surprise. What are you doing here? And... Doom just sort of like lays on the arrogant Doom mode and somehow uh, what Phoenix does to Doom is just mess with his wrist gauntlets, his armor, something like that. Yeah, his, his, his time travel. So Phoenix has controls reality at a molecular level officially. Right. Um, based on how she uses his, her powers, probably it's closer to a subatomic level. Right. But she mess. She can. She can basically go into things, make them malfunction, make them into something else with a thought. Um, she's she, her powers are are functionally unlimited in that way. So she messes with his gauntlet, but she also she also messes with whatever's going on in terms of time travel capabilities. And Doom consequently gets the hots for her. Yes, thinking under other circumstances, I would be titillated by such a brazen display of power. Yikes! Well, we we. We know too that that um, under other circumstances, the the X Men character whom Doom is going to canonically court is actually Storm. Right. But yeah, no. Um, I, I I sort of assume that Doom has the same set of of kind of impossible issues that Apocalypse does, which is that he only respects the only people he, he respects are the ones who could kill him, so he never actually gets to respect anyone. That's fair. At this point, uh, the Beast knocks the Phoenix out of the way, and she never mentions this again. They've got a lot going on. They do have a lot going on, but you know, the two of them end up, you know, outside in the Antarctic, like freezing mm-hmm. to death. And somehow, like it never crosses Jean's mind to say, like, oh, you know who I also saw down there? That's kind of interesting. Well, during this time and in, in going forward, Jean is going to be hallucinating a lot. Okay. And having a lot of trouble telling reality from these extremely vivid dreams she's having this, the, you know, and other telepathic interference, plus the stuff she's experiencing as Phoenix. So that's actually, I mean, that's a specific plot point that you can kind of rationalize away. It still doesn't make sense, but there's, a, there, there's at least as good a rationalization for it as, as there is for any number of other things. Gotta say, Jay, you are amazing at the no prize stuff. It's, it's, I, that's my job. Primo. So they make another time jump and they're set off course because the Phoenix has messed with Doom's armor and the, the time machine's controls. And welcome to the 21st century, they end up smack in Days of Future Past. Yes. At this point, it becomes sort of a greatest hits reel of X-Men stories. Yeah. Like uh, it's been. Yeah. So 
again, for, for the benefit of our uh, doom-loving listeners at home who maybe have not kept up with X-Men stuff, what's the sort of position of this particular story they found themselves in within the X-Men canon? Days of Future Past is set in the, the dark future of 2013, I believe. Something like that. Um, some, some year that we've passed within the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, like, like, like everyone else um, in, in 2021, my sense of time has just gone completely out the window. Yeah. I, obviously, Doom's got a handle on it, so I'm not going to worry too much because you know, it's, in, it's in hands, at least. Yeah. But um, this, is, this is a dark future in which the, basically the anti-mutant forces have, have won. Mutants are relegated to concentration camps in the ruins of what were major cities patrolled by sentinels. Now, there are a couple different points where this timeline broke from the major 616 timeline. Nominally, it's precipitated by one major event, which is the assassination of Senator Kelly, which is prevented. But the more we find out about the Days of Future Past timeline, the more we realize that the timelines actually diverged significantly before that. So for instance, this is a timeline where instead of being replaced by the Phoenix, Jean Grey effectively merged with it. Um, and there are, there are a number of other changes. Anyway, at this point, there are a group of mutants who are, are desperately attempting to, are, are basically making a Hail Mary pass to send the consciousness of Kate Pride, who's the adult whom Kitty Pride, Shadowcat, who I guess then was Ariel or possibly Sprite, she had a lot of code names, would grow up into back in time because she was the only X-Men at that point who, hadn't, who didn't have fully trained psychic defenses um, and who could therefore prevent the aforementioned assassination of Senator Kelly. And doing that cost most of the group their lives. So Doom is basically here to witness a Cliff Snow version of the backstory of those events. In the comics in which we see these, X-Men 141, 142, the entire future sequence is something like 12 or 13 pages. It's real small yeah. and it does yeah. a whole lot of work. The section of this X-Men Doom 98 annual that deals with it is just about as long. <laughs> and accomplishes so much less. It really does. Although uh, we see Doom and the Seer materialize in this 21st century future. And they are immediately attacked by a Sentinel who has detected a coronal anomaly. Now, you right. think if Sentinels are watching out for coronal anomalies, the very first thing they would find would be Kitty Pride as Kate Pride, like, switched with her future self. But, you know, maybe it was just that particular Sentinel who was out looking for coronal anomalies and Doom dispatching it in a single panel, as he does here, is uh, what was necessary to you know, make the plan kind of succeed. I mean, that's also why so many characters die to basically buy Rachel Summers and Kitty Pride the time to, Kate Pride the time to do that. Yeah. Another thing that interests me here is that he does not recognize the Phoenix Force doesn't recognize the phoenix at all and he doesn't go looking for it and there's no real connection to it which is seemed like an obvious place to go from the last one because there is because a pivotal character in the future sections of those rachel summers is i believe the phoenix host at this point maybe he's just still obsessed with the redhead that he saw back in the previous scene and nobody else will do He's got a lot going on. He does have a lot going on. So uh, he continues to kind of meddle with the plot of Days of Future Past because his equipment having been damaged, he needs to go find machinery to replace it and figures he's going to go find it at the home of the accursed Richards. His arch enemy, he figures like, well, I'm in New York. Baxter Building's here. There should be something there. 
uh, and happens to go by at exactly the same time as the X-Men are making their doomed attempt to break in and, and uh, deal with the Sentinels there. So while the This Issue Everybody Dies moment is going on, while the Sentinel is blasting Wolverine's flesh off of his metal skeleton, while all this is happening, Doom is lurking around just off panel of what we saw in the original, finding some gear, <laughs> finding some equipment, scavenging. Um, yes. And uh, in the middle of the fight, just kind of like cuts out of there. Nobody mentions he's there. They're, they're busy fighting the Sentinel. They don't No notice. one notices. No. <laughs> he's, comes back and can't find Magneto. Uh, the seer says, oh, Magneto has to be dead. Is Magneto dead by that point in the story? Well, I believe Magneto dies in that story. Yeah, so... Um, I do not remember the order that that happens in. Everybody dies. Something I can go back and check, but everyone, everyone dies. What interests me here is that the seer mentions that they basically passed Onslaught on the way to that future, which is weird because Onslaught shouldn't exist in the timeline that that future does because that splits before Onslaught. Xavier would be dead before Onslaught could have happened in that timeline. Huh. I suppose that's the case. Well, so they're they're not only they're not only hopping through time, they're hopping they're hopping universes at this yeah. point. But Doom, you know, fixes fixes his gear with his like pocket laser. He, he for some reason he does not use his boulder gun. I'm very sad that Doom doesn't use his gun that shoots boulders or expands molecules into <laughs> boulders. He he has one, he's used it repeatedly. It's great. Like, I mean it's a handy thing to have. Yeah. Uh but he fixes the time platform, fixes the cloaking device, and oh no, they've actually gone back too far. They pass it over once again, the time when uh, the Onslaught MD was around. The seer brings up Professor X. Yeah, the, the seer realizes that there's something else going on, that Onslaught isn't just one consciousness, despite the fact that it's basically got Magneto's fashion sense. Onslaught's also got something related to Charles Xavier in it. So he decides that that's the timeline they should jump to. So they jump back to that and somehow happen into the school Mm. at just the moment when uh, Thunderbird is getting killed by the plane blowing up. Right. Why? Well, because I assume it's a critical moment. It is a moment that gets cited in the lead up to Onslaught. As, as sort of one of the moments of, of things breaking for Xavier. But it's, it's the first of, of sort of a sequence of Xavier gets put through the ringer in ways that initially in ways that we think we can sum up. And then in, they, they go in some weird places. They miss what to me is or are the absolute most obvious references for Onslaught, for building up Onslaught, which are respectively the X-Men Micronauts miniseries. Okay. Where... We see yeah, the, a, a villain known as just the Entity, who is basically the dark side of Xavier's consciousness as the main antagonist. And anything involving the Shadow King, um, which, which seems like kind of a, a clear antecedent, or any kind of Xavier and Magneto shared, ba- shared backstory. They just skip that completely yeah. um, pre-X-Men. So we get, we get the death of Thunderbird and we get, we get kind of, kind of this, this, this hits reel of, of weird Xavier moments. We get that, we get the fight against Dark Phoenix when Xavier demonstrates that the only thing more powerful than the Phoenix forces and love is condescending paternalism. And then he jumps to the first New Mutants storyline in which Professor Xavier turns out to have been harboring a brood embryo 
and has turned into the brood. And I dropping this in without context, like you, you can sort of piece together the others, but this is not a well-known story. No, no this is, this really is not. not something that ends up in like greatest hits or X-Men essentials. This is, this is, I mean, I think it's a fairly decent story and it's definitely like, it does a good, a good job of introducing the X-Men into the new mutants book, but it's a weird place to go. Yeah. Uh, it's also not really relevant to Onslaught in any kind of visible way. I and mean, he, it, it's talking about how weak the professor is and how he's being overwhelmed and how he's begging to die. I mean, maybe it's just there's been some weird shit going down with Professor X before, but that's really all it establishes. Mm, that's possible. So they, they jump forward again and they end up in X-Men 200. Yeah. In Paris. Which of all of, of all of the signature issues you could do is again, a, a, an odd choice because, oh, there's also no, no note of Magneto's backstory. No, none. Which is a place I feel like they really, they really should have gone. But no, so yeah, yeah, we get the the end of the trial of Magneto when when Professor Xavier um, is 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 whisked off to Shi'ar space and decides that Magneto is going to run the school as Xavier's apocryphal cousin Michael. Right. Although X Men Two Hundred always reads to me as if the professor is supposed to die there, like that is yeah. supposed to be his big death scene and the moment where he passes everything over to Magneto, and it. I really wonder if that was not the plan originally like that's that's where he dies that's the end of his arc something oh, something you see consistently through the claremont run and that he's talked about pretty extensively is yeah a lot of stuff like that a lot of things that were supposed to change and his his idea was that there would be major transfers of power and team lineup over over time like cyclops wasn't supposed to come back from alaska he and madeline Pryor were supposed to live happily ever after and maybe show up as guests sometimes and i would not be at all surprised if xavier was supposed to die here but unfortunately what you see with almost every single one of those plans is them then being undone and retconned back. Now, fascinatingly, what Doom sees in this scene where Magneto is saying like, okay, I will take over for you, Charles. I will, I will finish your work. I will do what I did in the Age of Apocalypse, basically, is... Uh, bah, sentimental drivel, and I do not believe it for a second. I find it highly unlikely that the so-called master of magnetism plans to keep his word. From what we've seen thus far in our travels, Magneto has proven to be a conniving, unscrupulous individual, and certainly not above lying to a man who is on his deathbed. Real interesting that that is Dr. Doom's worldview. That this is the spin that we're seeing in X-Men comics at this point, too, though. There are issues where it comes up directly. There's an X-Force issue in particular, where, where whether Sabretooth is redeemable is, is an... Actually, whether Sabretooth was redeemable was like an ongoing topic of discussion in every X-Book for about three years. Okay. And it comes to its peak and the collective decision is that the answer is no. And someone brings up Magneto and that he ran the school for a while and Xavier brushes it off and basically says, yeah, and that's how I know that not everyone's redeemable and that that doesn't actually mean anything. Um, wow. From pretty much from X-Men number one, the 1991 X-Men number one on, Magneto is spun as purely a villain and anything that he did that was humane or good in the past gets, gets either sort of tamped down or brushed off as, as anomalous. Now, between that scene and the next one is when Acts of Vengeance happens off panel. There is no mention of it in here when uh, this period when Magneto and allegedly Doom, but actually it kind of turns out to be a Doombot, but probably a Doombot or probably a Doombot most of the time 
are actually planning stuff together and working together. They skip over that entirely in this story. It's real inconvenient. It does not go with the onslaught stuff. So, and they're running out of pages, frankly. Yeah, and uh, acts, acts of Vengeance is silly. For those, for listeners unfamiliar, it's basically where all of the villains switch heroes. Yeah, they team up and they switch heroes. And then they discover that uh, a Doombot was working with them all along and then Loki was masterminding the whole thing. We'll get to those eventually probably about a year and a half away on this particular podcast. Uh, but so they, they uh, travel to, quote, the present where they see Magneto. Would it be Joseph at this point or would it actually be Magneto? I do not know. This is where they are at this point when they, when they run into and talk to someone who appears to be Magneto is basically my blind spot in Magneto continuity. It's the stuff that we're coming up to covering on Explain the X-Men, but um, that, that I'm going to be going through for the first time. The seer explains that at this point in the present, Magneto knows what the secret of Onslaught is, but uh, the knowledge is buried deep in his subconscious. And since our last encounter, Magneto has found a way to erect sophisticated mental barriers to guard against any possible psionic probes or attacks. How? What? Ben? The hat. The hat? I, I assume... I. That's all I think. Oh, no, he's not wearing it initially. He's not wearing his helmet. He's just kind of like hovering it in front of him. Yeah, I got nothing. Um, I, I, there's, there's just some stuff going on here. The panel of Magneto saying, who dares invade my private sanctum looks straight out of God Loves Man Kills, by the way. There's, there's a really distinct shift in, in mostly the inking style in that panel that, that, that kind of caught me off guard. Well, it's the present. So it's, it's a 98 at this point. And it may be what happens to Magneto at the beginning of the 91 X-Men series. Mm. uh, uh, So Doom now has a force field that makes him impervious to uh, magnetic stuff. Uh, He has reinvented Peter Parker's old anti-magnetic inverter, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Real clever. He is Teflon. He is Teflon. Uh, Oh, I think this is Magneto and not Joseph. And I think that for one specific reason, and that is that he is drawn with wrinkles. Okay. <laughs> um, so, and Joseph is is pretty much always and very specifically supposed to look like he's in his his twenties. Uh, you may be able to give the kind of one sentence explanation of Joseph that I I can't. Joseph is a clone of Magneto that a lady with a crush on him made once. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's that's it. That's, uh, he is he he usually has very long hair. He is uh, what I believe kids these days term a twunk. And uh, he he had some brief identity crises, and then basically spent the has spent the rest of his career as the really bad off-brand dollar store knockoff of Magneto, entirely failing in brief attempts at supervillainy. Do we have any idea where he is in the Dawn of X period? It's possible that he's come up, but honestly, I don't think there's any character I'm least I'm less invested in tracking. Yeah. Okay. I'll. No, I'll I would some. I would guess that he hasn't been revived because the. Because he he's definitely died a few times, and Krakoa has complicated rules around reviving clones. clones yes. And Magneto's Magneto is is on the council, and I'm guessing Magneto would just have vetoed any attempts to bring him back. <laughs> because come on, or you know, if he's in the queue, like we're gonna move him down to the bottom of the queue. Yeah, yeah. Why why would you need the knockoff when you've got the original? This is this isn't like that's the thing, Joseph. I don't think Joseph ever really entirely transcends being off-brand knockoff Magneto. There are plenty of awesome characters who are clones, 
um, who are very much characters in their own right. But Joseph is, yeah, he's yeah. there. As this fight is going on, because we see you know, Magneto and Doom actually engage and fight here, the seer realizes that he knows the exact moment when Onslaught was created. Yes. And communicates this to Doom. They hop back into their time platform and it appears they end up in uh, X-Men 25. Of the they do. One series. Now what's going on here? So we've just come out of fatal attractions. <laughs> that is the event in which Magneto and, and you know, one of the nice things about Magneto going villain again is that he, with, with his villainy, he gets all of his villain drama back. Yeah. So in a very, very short span of time, he starts a space cult, crashes Ilyana Rasputin's funeral, and convinces Colossus to join the space cult, and rips the adamantium out of Wolverine's skeleton. Ouch. And Xavier and, and a handful of the X-Men yeah, head up to space to deal with this. I believe actually that Magneto is also technically kind of holding the Earth hostage and basically saying, give me a country or I'll blow some stuff up at this point. So yeah, other, other motives. But Xavier goes up, basically says, I'm tired of this and completely wipes Magneto's mind. This is officially the birth point of Onslaught. And, and we see this in, in a fair amount of detail in this issue in, in, a sequence that I can I can describe only as Victor Von Doom and the mystery of where babies come from. Explain what 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 do we see here? Well, what we see. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't realize it had a face until I was looking back. It sure at it does. Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Magneto has an angry protean little grappling hook man in the center of his astral chest. Which is this a thing that we saw in X Men? No. No, okay. I, I, I'm fairly sure this is not a thing we have ever seen anywhere else or will ever see again, which then reaches out and penetrates Xavier's chest and leaves something inside, creating the birth of the onslaught entity. And it's 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 very it's it's yeah, it's 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 very sexual reproduction-y. And it's also just goofy as all hell. Like I can't get over this thing. <laughs> It does have a face. It's a nasty little grappling hook with a face and long, long, luxurious hair because it's the late 90s. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and this is, this is so I object deeply to this, this notion of onslaught for a couple of reasons. The first of which is that it implies that all of the malevolence of onslaught comes from Magneto. Which is absolutely not the case, mm -hmm. which makes no sense and which ignores a huge amount of Professor Xavier's own continuity, and especially the fact that Professor Xavier specifically has an evil side called the entity that does horrible things to all his allies when it gets out. Yeah. Uh, also, it's a tiny grappling hook with a face. It's a tiny dark gray grappling hook with long, luxurious flowing hair and red eyes and... A little goatee, it looks like even. Yeah, and a big goofy grin. Big goofy grin. I love this. This has this has intense, <laughs> like Mephisto at his weirdest vibes. Yeah. So at this point, uh, the, the seer really looks like uh, he's about to puke. Uh, Doom shoves him out of the way and grabs his apparently power stealing gun, which I guess is a little bit like the the power stealing gun that he stole the Silver Surfer's power with uh, back in back in the later sixties, and shoots the astral onslaught 
I and to guess. be where it has implanted itself a little bit like the alien that we saw in that new mutant slash I can't even tell what's going on here. But the the point is that uh, Onslaught resists the transfer of power. And absorbs energy from the weapon. And absorbs energy from the weapon. Doom suddenly looks even more like uh, a 60s kind of Kirby uh, and Sinat drawing than he does otherwise says never in my wildest imaginings did I foresee such a display of raw power he's got a crush again he does he's, he's really getting does. a lot of crushes in this issue the, the seer tries to dissuade him doom gives him the kind of backhand and a quiet you distract me with your needless prattling continues to try to steal the onslaughts onslaughtiness like was it ever actually established like what the Onslaught Entity's power was. What can it do? Whatever what Scott ability? Lobdell wants it to do. It's it's really nebulous. And it's... So, so here's the thing about Onslaught. As far as I can tell, this was not a particularly planned event. Like, a lot of it was happening on the fly, and a lot of it just never gets resolved or explained. A bunch of stuff happens... Some of it has some degree of causality attached to it. Some of it just happens. Some of it is there specifically to tie up a loose dangling pl- a thread related to the future that Bishop comes from, which and the whole idea of there being an ex-trader who destroyed the X-Men. But honestly, Onslaught is nebulous. Onslaught is nebulous in the ways that a lot of things in the late 90s were nebulous, which is to say energy powers, which can mean absolutely anything. Yeah, I mean, what I remember of the on- whole Onslaught story is that it's a whole lot of characters yelling about how impressed and terrified they are. Yeah, and then they all die. And then they all die, yeah. And then Heroes Reborn. Yeah. So- Onslaught does not actually make sense. And this, this sequence where we see the, the little, little grappling hook guy, it's the other thing, is that that, that grappling hook guy and, and what he grows into are so reminiscent of the Shadow King. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's I mean- right there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the implication I'm getting here is that Doom is actually what sparks this this sort of weird fusion of, of Magneto and Xavier into becoming Onslaught. Huh. Um, how do you get that? So he's, he's, used, he's training his weapon on the thing, but um, Doom is increasing and increasing the, mod- the module's energy output. And, and, and the seer is saying, you know, the danger is mounting, the danger is mounting. And the thing reaches out for them, resulting in a massive explosive release of energy and i think i mean this is so so the the new mutants truth or death storyline has a similar gimmick in it involving a time loop and the legacy virus this the the other thing is that i i sort of assumed that just because otherwise there's absolutely no point to this issue right like this is the one thing i can think of this issue actually accomplishing or changing but like like you said, like it's it's not really clear and it's not really explicit. Um, it's kind of there if you look really hard for it, maybe. So, of course, there's a huge sort of backlash explosion thingy that propels Doom and the Seer back to their time, 1964 continuity, and suddenly the time platform needs repairs, uh, and Doom now knows something like. He, he doesn't have the power of Onslaught, but he has knowledge of the future, and uh, he... When he has goes, knowledge that he's going to apparently sacrifice himself to stop Onslaught, and now he thinks he has the means to avoid or fake that. Yeah. 
and uh, consequently like kills the seer for no reason that makes any sense. He just says, I'm afraid your usefulness to use it in end. And then says, knowledge is power, France is bacon. He doesn't say France is bacon, but he does say knowledge is power. In all the universe, there is no greater truth, and I do not intend to share it. So he, he kills the seer because the seer now knows the same thing he does, and he doesn't want anybody else knowing the same things he, he does. Doom has strict spoiler policies, but he doesn't trust anyone else with them. Yeah. And he's clearly not going to let on to anybody else any of this other stuff that he knows. When he much later meets the X-Men or possibly a Doombot meets the X-Men, we've gotten conflicting evidence on both sides of this. He makes no mention of anything about the X-Men's no. future or no. his knowledge is passed to them. Uh, no, and he, he in fact never brings this up. Never, again, ever. Including like in the time when he's actually dealing with Onslaught in real time. What? Well, I mean, here's the thing. He says knowledge is power. Uh-huh. And he says he's coming out of this with knowledge. But I don't know that he actually learns anything useful. I think we all learned something useful today. No, we haven't. We've learned nothing. No, no. I mean, I've, 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 I've learned that, that tiny angry grappling hooks are hilarious. Yeah. But I uh, feel like I knew that in my heart all along. So this may be... Uh, continuity-wise, the earliest story in which Doom actually does something obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, like we have only known that he is a bad person because Reed Richards says so. Yeah. I mean, he's doing a little bit of kidnapping. He's doing stuff like attaching a device to the basement of the Baxter building to make it fly off into space. Okay, that's awesome. It, it is awesome. <laughs> and nonetheless like uh, preserving like a water tank inside it that somehow doesn't drain so that uh, namor can get inside and uh, restore himself but uh, i namor and doom teaming up is is one of one of my favorite favorite um antagonist team ups because they're, they're 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 very much they're they're cut from the same cloth in ways that make them singularly suited to get under each other's skin oh yeah we we've seen a little of that we're going to be seeing much more of that, including the time that they team up with Henry Kissinger. We'll get to that uh, probably about eight months from now. The Nixon administration was really fertile ground for the Marvel Universe. Sure was. <laughs> this is the first time we see him sort of offhandedly disintegrating somebody for disappointing him. Yeah. Again, why would a seer take on, why would somebody who can see the future take a job with somebody who's going to disintegrate him? limited capability to see the future, I assume. Mm, Or sense of duty, depending on how long Doom has been in charge of Latveria and how effective his propaganda is, it's reasonably possible. Well, no, because the seer is clearly much older than than Doom. Yeah, much, much older. So he wouldn't have have grown up believing that his his absolute, you know, that that, that the best possible death was a death in the service of Doom. I'm I'm just going to go with a combination of limited foresight and poor decision-making skills. I will uh, agree with that. Do you see any sort of repercussions from this story for uh, the X-Men? Explicit no. or implicit? No. Okay. Nope. Fair. Nope. <laughs> Doom's, Doom's, got his, Doom's got his someone, else, someone else's problem field. The only time he interacts directly with X-Men is during, during an era where he's interacting with one X-Men who is already hallucinating a lot and sort of questioning her reality and is going to be largely distracted and concerned with other things. I also feel like Doom is a character who has, by that point, 
effectively undercut his own credibility with most of the other Marvel characters because they know there are a ton of Doombots. They know Doom's got his fingers in everything. And I assume that casual encounters with a Victor Von Doom who's not where you expect him and then just flies off have to be, if not par for the course, you know, not completely out of the frame of just, you know, oh yeah, we had, we had, we had a Doom encounter today. He was just, you know, he just wandered through and grabbed some pieces of our computer again while Wolverine was being disintegrated, yeah. I really love that Onslaught is nonsense to the point that an issue whose entire premise is someone putting together the nuts and bolts of Onslaught still just doesn't accomplish that. Yeah, I think that's just about true. This is even even against, you know, one of the greatest sinister intellects of Marvel 616, Onslaught is complete nonsense. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Jay. Next week, I'll be talking about Fantastic Four number 23 with special guest Patrick A. Reed. Meanwhile, if you've got any questions about anything having to do with Doctor Doom, this show, or Latverian culture in general that you'd like us to answer on the show, the address to email them to is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel Nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Wolk for the VOL. Zero, zero, eight. This is the Voice of Latveria. Zero, zero, eight. Tomorrow, on Latverians bettering the world, as we contemplate how best to care for an aging population whose life expectancy has been extended by Doom's rule, a recurring question is how to support the elderly to continue living in their own homes. One idea is repurposing decommissioned Doombots to monitor our older citizens. They can help with household tasks, enforce the laws of the state, and even track our grandparents' health conditions. That's Latverians bettering the world. Tomorrow on the VOL, this concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies until you die.